Good morning. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to join me in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I heard about a New York City lawyer who traveled to the boot heel. He went dove hunting, shot a dove, and the dove fell in a nearby pasture. So he climbed the fence and he started over to get his dove. About that time, a farmer came up on his tractor and got off and said, What do you think you're doing? He said, I'm going to get my bird. The farmer said, well, this is private property, so I want you to get off. The lawyer said, well, I'm a New York City lawyer, and if you don't get, let me get my bird, I'm going to sue you for all you're worth. The farmer said, well, you know, the, the state animal here is the mule. And so the way we resolve things in the boot heel is what we call the three-kick rule. He said, the three-kick rule, what's that? He said, well, that means I kick you three times, you kick me three times, I kick you three times, we continue on until one of us gives up. The lawyer looked at this old farmer and said, well, I'm younger than him, I'm stronger than him. All right, we'll resolve it by the three-kick rule. So before the lawyer was even fully ready, the farmer walked over and kicked him in the shin. And while he was holding his shin, he kicked him in the midsection, dropped to his knees, kicked him in the side of the head. He woke up seeing stars, shook his head a little bit and said, all right, it's my turn. I'll show you how we kick in New York. And the farmer said, no, I give up. You go get your bird. You ever feel like you've been kicked and you never get a chance to kick back? Ever feel like you're kicked until you're down and every time you try to get back up you get kicked again? We learned last time in verse 7 that God has chosen to put his glorious treasure in earthen vessels. He has chosen to put the light of the knowledge of the gospel of God and the face of Christ inside of you and inside of me. And we are earthen vessels. We are simply clay pots. And how does a clay pot reveal the hidden treasure of the life of Jesus? It has to be broken. Just like the clay pots that Gideon's army used, they had to be broken to show forth the light. And we have to be broken to be useful. Pots only shine when they're cracked. So God wants you to be a cracked pot. A cracked pot is a person who isn't perfect. A cracked pot is a person who has imperfections. A cracked pot is a person who has scars. A cracked pot is a person who has been broken beyond mending. So if you are a cracked pot, the key is don't try to hide your cracks. And don't try to cosmetically fill up your cracks. Allow God to shine through your cracks. 
This morning, we're going to continue with that theme in verses 8 to 11 in a message I've entitled, Cracked But Not Crushed. And I want you to see two simple things in these verses. One, the ways we get cracked, and secondly, why we get cracked. First, the ways we get cracked, and Paul mentions four ways we get cracked in verses 8 and 9. The first way is personal pressures. Look at verse 8. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. The word afflicted means literally to be confined on every side. It's when you feel like the walls of your life are all coming in on you. Remember the first Star Wars movie, Luke Skywalker and Han Solo were trying to rescue Princess Leia from the Death Star, and while they're escaping, they end up in a huge garbage compactor. And you can hear the the gears grinding and the walls starting to move in, and everything they try to put up there to prop the walls fails, and they just keep coming in and coming in and coming in. And R2-D2 shuts off the garbage compactor because in the movies that always happens. There have to be sequels. But maybe right now, that's a great analogy of your life. And you feel like those invisible walls are just coming in and everything you try to do to slow it down fails. Maybe for you it's financial pressure or it's pressure at work or it's pressure at home. You know, it doesn't have to be big things because little things pile up. Maybe the washing machine doesn't work on Monday morning or it rains on your day off or the dog gets sick on the new carpet or as happened to me last week, you splatter bleach on your brand new black pants or Your mother-in-law arrives unexpectedly for a long visit. Or the traffic is worse than usual. Or you flunk that test that you spent all night studying for. Those are afflictions. And if you'll notice, Paul says they come in every way. Afflictions usually come in a variety pack. Have you noticed that? They come in clusters and they come in a variety of packs. And Paul says they come in every way, every shape, and every form. But when pressures come, Paul says, we are not crushed. We're pressed in on every side, and sometimes we feel like not only are we, we clay, but we're about to be turned into powder. But Paul says the reality is that though they will crack us, They won't crush us. Second way is personal frustrations. At the end of verse 8, he says we're perplexed but not despairing. That word perplexed means literally without a way. It's those situations in life when you don't even see a choice. You ever get there? Sometimes we're struggling in life and we say, I've got this choice and that choice. Sometimes in life, we're going, you know what? I don't even see a way. I don't even see a choice. 
I am perplexed. Notice the four things Paul says in these verses that are prevalent in our lives. We are afflicted, we are perplexed, we are persecuted, we are struck down. A widely held misconception among Christians is that if I become a Christian, all my problems will disappear. If I become a Christian, mysterious bridges will suddenly appear over all the chasms of life. If I become a Christian, storms will miraculously cease and difficulties will disappear, but that's not the case. When you become a Christian, it's not like becoming a member of a red carpet club. And sometimes people get perplexed because they're expecting that in their Christian life and they don't get it. I will tell you this, if you become a Christian, not only will difficulties remain, but they will probably intensify. I heard a pastor say he was asked this question, now that I'm a Christian, it means the end of my problems, right? And he said, you're right, it is the end of your problems, the front end. You see, God's purpose in your life is not that you escape dangers and escape all the troubles. His purpose in your life is that he wants to demonstrate his power in you. That's what it says in verse 7. We have this treasure in earthen vessels so that... The surpassing greatness of the power will be from God and not from ourselves. If there is no trouble in your life, then there is no demonstration of God's power. Isn't it comforting to know that even the apostles at times were perplexed? I find great comfort in that. There were times in their lives when they were uncertain. There were times in their life when not only did they not know what decision to make, they couldn't even find a decision to make. There were times in their lives when they were in situations where they had no way to turn. So when that happens to you, you can expect it. There will be uncertainty in your life. There will be times when you not only don't know what to do, you don't even know what to say. There will be times in your life when you will be perplexed. I think about John the Baptist was when he was in prison and he sent a message to Jesus and he said, are you the Messiah or should we look for somebody else? This is a guy who heard God's voice from heaven when he baptized Jesus saying, this is my son. Now he's perplexed in prison and ready to give up and move on. I love this quote from Barbara Johnson about all of our unanswered questions. She says, I'm glad God has all the answers because I can barely understand the questions. And Paul says, when we're perplexed, we're not despairing. Let me give you a little Greek lesson. The word perplexed is the Greek word apareo. The word Despairing is the Greek word ek apareo. It's the same word with the little prefix ek on there, and ek means out. So what he's saying is, we're without a way, 
but we're not without a way out. We may look around and I say, I don't even see a way. But God will never leave you without a way out. We are without a way, but we're never without the way. Third way, we're cracked, is personal attacks. In verse 9, persecuted, but not forsaken. And that word persecuted means to be driven away. It's a word that covers the whole range of intentional offenses against Christians, from being ostracized to getting a cold shoulder, snide words, critical remarks, someone who deliberately hinders you, personal attacks, bodily attacks, even torture and death. Paul knew both sides of persecution. He had persecuted the church himself until he saw the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ, and then he was persecuted himself for the gospel of God. And Paul understood this word persecuted because he went from town to town and there were people, there were militant Jews who followed him from town to town. And in those towns, they would not just heckle him, they would stone him, try to get him arrested and punished. And even today in certain parts of the world, such as the Sudan, there are Christians who are actually put to death for their faith in Jesus Christ. They understand the word persecuted. Persecution against Christians in America is much more subtle. It's slander, it's taunts, it's criticism, it's a a glare from someone, it's a sarcastic remark. When we were children and somebody said something against us, we were taught to say, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. One problem with that, it's not true. Because you've got physical wounds that heal over. But I imagine there are a good number of you sitting here today that are still struggling with the emotional wounds from something someone said a long, long time ago. When Abraham Lincoln was president, he was constantly under attack from newspaper editors. He was even under attack from politicians in his same party. And if you read some of the editorials of that time, you'd discover that the public attacks were much more vicious than even the ones published today. Lincoln once wrote something about his attitude toward those who attacked him. In fact, Winston Churchill kept it on his desk during World War II. These were Lincoln's words. If I were to try to read, much less answer, all the attacks made on me, this shop might as well be closed for any other business. I do the very best I know how, the very best I can, and I mean to keep doing so until the end. If the end brings me out all right, what's said against me won't amount to anything. And if the end brings me out wrong, ten angels swearing I was right would make no difference. That's one way to look at it. Paul says, we are persecuted, but not forsaken. That word forsaken means to be abandoned, to be left alone. And I can't help but think of Jesus in whose face, verse 6 says, the light of the glory of God shines. 
And he was hanging on the cross for three hours of darkness. And in those hours of darkness, he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Jesus was persecuted and forsaken so that although you will be persecuted, you will never be forsaken. His words in Hebrews 13, 5 are these, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. A lot of people will drive you away, but he never will. We are cracked, but not crushed. Fourth way is personal failures at the end of verse 8. The end of verse 9, I'm sorry. Struck down, but not destroyed. And that word struck down came from the gladiatorial games where a fighter would be pinned and then then the man over him would be looking for the thumbs up or the thumbs down from the emperor as to what to do. Paul says we can expect to be knocked down, but we'll never be knocked out. And who is our greatest enemy? Our greatest enemy is Satan. Did Paul get knocked down? Yes, he did. Did Paul have personal failures? Yes, he did. He admits to his weakness in Romans chapter 7 where he says the very things he didn't want to do, he did. You see, Paul realized that he was not a perfect, flawless vessel. Later in this book, in chapter 12, he's going to tell us that he had a thorn in his flesh that debilitated him. He was a cracked vessel, but he was filled with the life of Jesus Christ. When a Christian messes up, we often hear the term, he's a fallen Christian. But the reality is, every Christian falls. The key is, do you get back up? There are many things in life that will knock you down. Some of them are your own bad choices. But the secret to being useful for God is to get back up. In 1976, an unknown writer and actor by the name of Sylvester Stallone wrote a script about a boxer named Rocky. He went around to studio after studio to try to sell his script, and nobody wanted it. Finally, somebody took a chance on him. It was filmed in only 28 days. It cost $1.2 million to produce, and Rocky became a sensation. It won Best Picture of the Year in 1976 and has made over $117 million. There have been five sequels last time I counted. What was the theme of Rocky? The guy kept getting back up. You see, there's something inspiring about the guy that gets knocked down, but he won't stay down. He keeps getting back up. I've got some good news for you. You're in a fight, but the fight is fixed. 
in the end, you're going to win? And that is absolutely certain. But let me tell you this, before the final round, you are going to get knocked down, but you will never be knocked out. And the only question is, when it's time for you to leave the ring, will you be able to say with Paul, I have fought a good fight? Can you see what's happening here in verses 8 and 9? Paul says, we're all pressed in, but we're not crushed. We're without a way, but not without a way out. We're driven away, but never forsaken. We're struck down, but not knocked out. He's saying we are cracked, but not crushed. Why? Well, that's what he tells us in verses 10 and 11, why we get cracked. And I've listed three reasons for you that I see in this book of 2 Corinthians. The first is it forces you to rely on God alone. And we saw this in chapter 1. If you want to go back and look at it briefly, I just want to touch on it. In chapter 1 and verse 8, at the end of that verse, Paul says, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves but in God who raises the dead. Why does God allow cracks in my life? Because it brings me to the conclusion I cannot trust in me. I have to trust in him. I was reading this week about the children of Israel as they came out of Egypt, and it says something interesting in Exodus 14.8. It says they came out of Israel boldly, like they were walking tall and walking out of Egypt, but then it says when they saw Pharaoh and his army in their rearview mirror, they cried out to God. And that so describes us. We're walking around boldly thinking we got things together, and then we see some adversity, and what happens? We realize we can't handle this. Only God can. And we get on our knees where God wants us to be. That's why you got cracks in your life. Second reason you have cracks in your life is it focuses your attention on heaven. And in the chapter we're in, chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians, we're going to eventually get to the last two verses. Trust me. But just let me give you a preview of those verses. Chapter 4, verses 17 and 18 says, for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Have you noticed that affliction has a way of turning your gaze from the seen to the unseen? from the temporal to the eternal, from the here and now to the then and there. And when we do, it's beyond comparison. Paul says the affliction is light and momentary. The glory is weighty and eternal. Why do you have cracks? It causes you to desire to be in heaven. It it causes you to desire the things you can't see that God has promised to you because it shakes your world around you and says it's painful to live here. 
I want to move on. Helen Keller was born in 1880 in Alabama. She was born deaf and blind, and you know her story. Through the patience of a lady named Ann Sullivan, Helen Keller became aware of the world around her. Now, you might expect somebody with a situation like that to be bitter about her plight. Here's what Helen Keller wrote shortly before she died. She said, for three things I thank God every day of my life. Thanks that he has given me knowledge of his works. Deep thanks that he has set in my darkness the lamp of faith. And deep, deepest thanks that I have another life to look forward to. A life glorious and joyous with light and flowers and heavenly song. You see, pain and adversity helps us focus on heaven more clearly. And then thirdly, it forms Christ's life in you. And that's in our verses, verses 10 and 11. Notice what he says. Always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. I want you to notice these two verses. They have the same outcome. Did you notice that? Last part of the verse is exactly the same. Verse 10, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our body. Verse 11, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. And I want you to notice something else they have in common. He's talking about something for right now. He doesn't say that Jesus' life will be manifested in your immortal body, but in your mortal body. It's not in heaven someday. It's on earth right now in the body you're in, under the gun, while you're facing afflictions, perplexities, persecutions, and failures. Jesus wants to be manifest in you. Secondly, he's talking about something very practical. The word manifest means literally to shine, to make visible. Jesus' life is made manifest and visible in this body. God's treasure is manifest and made visible in this pot. So verses 10 and 11 have the same result, the life of Jesus being manifest in a present, practical way in my body, but they have two distinct conditions, and I want you to notice these this morning. The first is about your attitude. The second is about your activities. First, your attitude in verse 10. Notice what he says. The condition in verse 10 for having Jesus manifest in me is always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus. That's talking about my identification with Christ. Did you know that when he died, you died? When he was buried, you were buried. When he rose, you rose. And as I apply that truth to my daily life, that I died with Christ, I experience the reality of his life in me. 
Paul said it this way in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless what? I live. That's one of those paradoxes in Scripture. Death brings forth life. Death always leads to resurrection. When I consent and acknowledge in my body the dying of Jesus, then out of my body can shine the life of Jesus. And it's not the other way around. We can't claim resurrection life and then by means of that put to death our body. We die first and then comes life. That's an attitude. I have died to me. I am alive to Jesus. Second has to do with activities in verse 11. Notice the difference. Notice the condition in verse 11. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake. Now, let me give you another language lesson. The phrase, the dying of Jesus, in verse 10, is in the active voice. That means it's something I do. I choose to carry in my body the dying of Jesus. That's something I actively do. Verse 11, when it says, we are being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, that is the passive voice. It means something is being done to me. I have no choice. I am being delivered over. You see, I have no control of most of the circumstances in my life. They're going to happen. And God is using those circumstances to do what? To create cracks in me. Why? So that the life of Jesus will be manifest through the cracks in my life. Do you view your negative circumstances that way? Do you? When things go wrong, do you say, God, get me out of this, take this away? Or do you say, maybe God's trying to create a new crack in me. And so I want to cooperate with that. I want to recognize this is, this is an opportunity for me to die to self and allow Jesus to shine through the cracks in my life. This is an important lesson today because I think it really holds the key to authentic Christianity. You see, God wants you to rely on him alone, not on yourself. And God wants you to focus on heaven, not this temporary earth around you. And God wants Christ's life to be manifest in you. And that's why he allows you to be cracked, but not crushed. We are like Gideon's pots. The light didn't shine from Gideon's pots until they were cracked. And so it is with you, and so it is with me. Broken vessels shine the brightest. And when our earthen vessel is cracked, that's when Christ's life can shine through us. God's power is demonstrated best against, amidst the afflictions, the perplexities, the persecutions, and the failures of life. So my simple message and application to you today is this. Welcome the cracks. And when you've got a crack, some of you got cracks and you think, nobody knows about my crack. 
and I keep it covered. I kind of wear these clothes and they cover up the crack or I kind of put some putty in there and nobody really notices my crack. That's not what God wants you to do with your cracks. He wants you to be honest about your cracks and then allow Jesus to shine through your cracks so that people say, there's a crack pot right there. But he's allowing, she's allowing Jesus to be manifest through the cracks. Some of you need to pull the putty out of your cracks today and be honest, not just with God, but with others and say, God wants to use this in my life in a positive way to reveal his glory and to affect other people. Would you do that today? Would you be that honest today? You know, we're going to take communion. There's an amazing verse in Isaiah 53, 5. And talking about Jesus, it says, He was crushed for our iniquities. We're cracked but not crushed. Guess what? He was crushed. And because he was crushed, we never will be. We're going to take the bread and the cup today and we're going to remember the one who said I am the light of the world and we're going to recognize how in his being crushed that light shines brighter and I trust today that as you see it in Christ you will embrace it in yourself and say I want to let the crack show so that Christ can shine through me and I want to welcome those cracks because God has a purpose in every one of them, that he might be glorified. Let's give thanks to the Lord today. And then after I pray, there are stations there. You're welcome to participate. If you're a believer, you're not a member of this church, you're still welcome. This is the Lord's Supper. It's his supper, not ours. You're welcome to participate. If you're a believer, take the bread and the cup in remembrance of him. Let's pray together. Father, thank you today for your word. Lord, we confess to you that so oftentimes we like our life to be tidy. We like to think that we're in control. We like to act like we're in control. We like to walk around boldly in our own self-confidence. And yet, Father, we realize as we reflect today that none of that fulfills your purpose for us in life. Because your purpose for us is that we would be afflicted and perplexed and persecuted and even fail, but get back up. That we would be cracked by the circumstances of life, things we can't control. But the one thing we can do is acknowledge that we have died with Jesus. And it's no longer us who lives, but it's Christ who lives in us. And to allow him to live in us in such a way that, Lord Jesus, you shine brightly through the cracks of our life to your glory. That's our desire today, that we would be honest with you about everything and honest with others about it as well so that you might demonstrate your glory to them. That the gospel might not be something we just talk about, but it's evident in the way you have transformed our lives and you use our brokenness for your glory. As we take the bread and the cup, we remember how Jesus was broken for us, how he was crushed for us, 
how that he was forsaken so that we would never be forsaken. Lord, give us thankful hearts today as we remember all that it cost him to allow us to be cracked but not crushed. And we thank you for that in Jesus' worthy name.